0: So you should have an outline, and it should say at the very top, uh, eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Element six, receiving Jesus Christ, which we also call responding to Jesus Christ, or key components and exchanges. So um, the tendency for the last 150 years has been to try to come up with gospel booklets, gospel formulas, that reduce the gospel to its bare bones. But in so doing, uh, in, some, in many cases we've actually altered it, we've certainly left out some of the most important points. Um, I've never seen a four-points or five-points kind of presentation of the gospel that's not leaving out key ingredients. So what we're doing is we're going to the very opposite extreme, and we're doing this like 150 part series on the eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel. However, I would encourage you when you're leading someone to Christ, you probably can't go through the whole series. <laughs> you might, you're going to have to reduce it. But just don't reduce it as far as what, uh, what we do today because, unfortunately, what we've aimed at, especially since the. Um, the kinds of movements that say Charles Finney and others represented in, in the 80s, Dway- or the 1800s, Dwight Moody, and so forth. We've kind of reduced the gospel as something you do to to pray the sinner's prayer and punch a ticket to heaven. But the gospel is something to live every day by. And you have to reorient yourself in the gospel every day, sometimes every hour. All the time, you have to remind yourself to walk in the basic foundational truths and experiences of Christ, what Paul calls in the elementary principles of Christ. So this today's message is probably that idea of the gospel for every minute, of every hour, of every day, is, is really pertinent for today's message. Because today we're going to talk about how we... Uh, have inside ourselves, in our churches today, in our culture, we have a war between grace-based philosophies of walking with Christ in the gospel and performance-based. And actually, as I hope you're going to see, although you could say, well, gee, that's in this Christian tradition or that Christian tradition and uh, so forth, the real location of that battle is inside ourselves. Our sinful nature wants to assert its own righteousness before God and wants to be accepted by performance and not by grace. And we have to humble ourselves before Christ and before the gospel every day and realize, as Paul said in Romans 7, there's nothing good that dwells in me. Nothing. I'm saved totally by grace. And it's not just that I got my ticket to heaven by grace. But I must live by grace. Jesus Christ said, this is eternal life, that they might know thee. Of course, he was praying to the Father, so he might know the youth of the Father. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And um, what, he's, what we've kind of begun to think is in our culture sometimes is that eternal life has something to do with going to heaven and something we're going to enter into later. But eternal life is the relationship that comes out of knowing God now. And heaven is just the natural trajectory of a life lived that way. So, um, and one of the things you'll find whenever you find someone that you're trying to counsel or help that has had a lot of crashes in life. You know, they uh, can't seem to get their emotions to... To be their servants instead of their masters. They make a lot of bad decisions. They've had a lot of broken relationships, lost jobs, uh, lost opportunities, whatever. If you really go back and examine the foundation, often they're trying to do it themselves and they haven't learned how to rest in God and His grace. So, this message, probably of the whole series, this could be the most important message of the whole series today. And, uh, it's interesting that, um, I wish Amanda Wu was here today, they're actually on a trip, uh, but Amanda uh, was just one example of a number of people who I suggested that she listen to our 16-part series from 2013 called Grace Upon Grace. And almost every Christian that's, that's gone to Bible school and grown up in the church and these kind of things, when I've told them that, they've said, I, I've grown up in the church. I have a degree from Bible school. I know all that. And every one of them who, who finally said, okay, let me listen to it, has said, wow, that totally revolutionized my life. Because our, the war we have is our flesh wants to live by performance base. And you'll never get past standing in the door of conceptually understanding that God is true and Christianity is true and the gospel is true if that's where you're living by experience. You'll be in the doorway of that and you'll have all the right answers. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And in fact, in your head, you do have the right answers, but you won't have the right answers in your experience. So, Let's get into this. I, Since we do have uh, a lot of people back from the summer and a few first-time people, uh, I'm going to do some review today. I'm going to have to try to be very quick on that. Roman numeral one is the eight essential elements that we've talked about. And John taught me how to count in computer numbers years ago. So I have an element, zero. Computer guys start counting with zero. And uh, he's John's nine. And he's like, no. <laughs> what? what are you whatever. And that's different than computer guys? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, computer started at zero, and uh, we did four weeks on element zero, and that is why we need to rethink the gospel. And especially if you're leading people to Christ, you really need to understand the concept of pre-evangelized versus not pre-evangelized. If you're sharing with someone who has a Judeo-Christian view of God in their mind and heart and head, that's a whole lot different than if you're sharing with someone who doesn't have a Judeo-Christian view of God in their heart or mind or head. And that was one of the problems that, that has caused the decline of Christianity in, in America and in Western culture in general. Is that a lot of our gospel presentations in the last 150 years have been designed to reach those who are pre-evangelized only. And we're less and less living in a culture where the pre- people you meet on the streets are pre-evangelized. They don't think of God as personal, or God as eternal, or God as just, or God is even, as one. You know, you see all kind of bumper stickers. I, you know, I, I prayed to my gods this morning, or I prayed to her this morning, or, uh, you know, all kinds of views out there that don't start with a Judeo-Christian view of God. So, element one is, you know, you need to know something about the attributes of God. And in fact, if you look at any kind of reduced version of the gospel, it will be light on what theologians call the non-communicable attributes of God. His eternal nature, the Trinity, uh, His personhood, um, His omnipotence, His omniscience, and especially His sovereignty. Many views of the gospel today are very light on the sovereignty of God and very heavy on the on the choice and performance of man. So that in itself wars against the idea of grace. Uh, Then, of course, attributes of man. There's all kinds of psychologies of man out there, even many of the evangelical Christian psychologies of man that aren't very biblical. Not all of our problems are rooted in my mother bit me when I was five or, you know, finding my inner child or some such thing. Because man doesn't even find his his or her identity in your childhood. Your identity is in who you're called to be in your adulthood with Christ. Christ is the ultimate adult. And our ultimate destiny is to be like him etc. So we went through the Ten Commandments, etc. Number four, the historical narratives of Israel. I've never seen an American gospel presentation that is heavy on that, but you can't find a gospel presentation in the New Testament that doesn't talk a lot about Israel and the church being the new Israel and Christ himself being the Israel of God. Now, that's... uh, we, uh, a point that's brought out by a few commentators there's actually a book in our um, uh, recommended foundational books by a guy named Scott McKnight that really emphasizes that and I got a thing in the mail for, for, that uh, Scott McKnight's going to be speaking at Cedarville University with a number of other good Gospel Coalition speakers in, when was that, October or something? November but that's not commonly pointed out and on and on. Then we got into Jesus Christ and we did Christology for 28 weeks. Who is Jesus Christ? Because as you know, uh, Amvesh and I were sharing with a a guy from the same state that he's from in India who was a Hindu and uh, he was considering starting to read the Bible and he's kind of like well what do I look for? Uh, What should I? And so we I took him to Matthew 16 and I said you know ultimately the, the truth or falsehood of Christianity everything falls and rises on who is Jesus Christ. Jesus asked the disciples who do people say that I am and then he focuses the question more clearly by saying who do you say that I am and everything in your life falls or rises on who you say Jesus is. Who he is in your mind, in your heart, in your experience. So now we've been talking about Element Six receiving Jesus for this is letter O, so that's probably around 15 weeks or something like that. You can count them up if you want. Our theme verse look in Roman numeral six, halfway down the first page, has been, uh, "By grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing." Or oh, that's our theme verse for today. The theme verse of, for the whole ser- section is up a little further. Uh, under Roman numeral four, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the authority, but exousia means both the power, the ability, and the legal right, authority, like a policeman has a gun and has a badge. Uh, we developed that concept to, to become children of God. You, you don't just have the right, theoretically, to become children of God. In the gospel is the grace to become a child of God. And the thing you if you uh, live a, a while and watch kids grow up and watch yourself grow up, you know, one of the things that alarms every kid sometime between the age of 14 and 25 is how much they're, you're like your father <laughs> or, or your mother <laughs> or whatever. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't want it. Well, you know, uh, the truth is, uh, as my Aunt Mary always said, it's in the genes. You know? Um, so, Um, You're not just given, as a child of God, you're not just given the theoretical right to be made righteous. You're given the power in the gospel to actually become God-like, to be Christ-like, to walk like a son or daughter of God. And if that's not happening in your life, then there's a disconnect in your understanding of the gospel. So then... Uh, last week, we started on grace. By grace, you uh, have been saved through faith, and that's not of your own doing as the ESV or not of yourselves as the New American Standard. It's the gift of God. Um, in other words, grace doesn't initiate with us, and that's a, I want you to focus on that point. If there's, a, if there's two points that I really want you to get a hold of, one is in Roman numeral five there, is all of these things must be go beyond your theoretical constructs and be in your experience of your walk with God and your walk with his church. If they're not, then you don't understand them in a biblical way. And increasingly in the West, we have a Greekified or, or abstract view of, of doctrine and theology. And we're, we think we're okay if we have the right doctrine. But if, you, if your right doctrine doesn't lead to the right experience... Uh, there's a problem. You know, when I got accepted into the Cedarville's Master of Ministry program, I had to write a paper on how do you intend as a, to make the, your theology incarnational. Or actually, I think they worded it, how do you make your orthodoxy, that is your right worship or right faith, in orthopraxy into right practice in the church. And I titled the paper, Theology Must Become Incarnational. It must be incarnational. If your thought theology doesn't translate into wher- where you live, then there's some kind of disconnect that needs to be addressed. So that's a little review. I'm going to review just a little bit more down to the bottom of the page. We did a whole sp- series on grace that I can't review, but uh but I think the third second the second chapter is called Grace Plus Theologies. Because it's inevitable, everyone has uh, two ideas about grace in their mind. Like the common definition of grace is God's undeserved favor. But that's just part of grace. Real grace goes beyond God's unmerited favor in choosing you. And by faith, grace works through faith. It, it goes, real grace goes into empowering you to become who God wants you to be. So, in other words, real grace becomes incarnational, becomes worked out in sanctification and maturation and calling you into relationship with God. So, um, as that happens, it's inevitable that you're going to have an idea about how you initially encounter grace, and you're going to have an idea about how you continue to encounter grace. And that's what I call grace plus theologies. Everybody has them. But there's five possible grace plus theologies. Only one of them is biblical. And I left that as number five, of course. Number one is works plus nothing equals God's favor or grace. In other words, that we made right by by our works. All false religions of the world start there. If you study Islam, for instance, or Hinduism or Buddhism, they are very performance-based, works-based religions. Modern psychology, you, you kind of define yourself and perfect yourself, and, and it's yourself yourself. You know, you, you self-actualize and self-this and self-that. So um, then a lot of people get a little past that, and they'll, they'll have a works plus grace leads to favor. Notice the order between Numbers 2 and 3. And that's kind of a thing that, well, yeah, we're, you know, Christ died for our sins and so forth. But ultimately, it's I got to do this, I got to do that, and I got to do the other thing to earn favor with God. And so you have kind of a mixed thing. You're kind of, you got a little grace concept in there, but you're covering all your bases. But what the problem with that is it avoids the scandal of the cross. See, grace is a scandal. If you think about it, you know, one of the things I've enjoyed over the last 42 years is I've known some very zealous Christians who are very mature in the things of God who were goody-two-shoes, you might say, growing up. And then I've known some very good Christians who are very mature in the things of God and have deep Christ-like character and wisdom that you wouldn't want to know what they were like before they came to Christ. Because, you know, God's grace can shine down on very wicked men and women. Ask me how I know. I'm an expert on sin. I have a master's degree in sin. or just lacking my dissertation to have the PhD done. Just kidding. But... Um, You know, sometimes when you consider, if you knew the person, say, two years ago or ten years ago or something, and you consider who they are in Christian maturity, and you knew who they were, it's shocking. You know, I don't want to name names, we have some people in our church that, like, when they walked in our door, it was like, oh, my God. (laughs) And then God started working in their life, and a few years later, it's like, oh my God, wow, God, you're awesome. Like, how could you have gotten that guy? Um, some of you fit that description. But uh, as does your pastor. So, you know, the problem with any kind of works-based thing is it tries to avoid the scandal of grace. Grace is a scandal. It comes on all sorts of people who don't deserve it. Third is grace plus works. This is uh, one of the, probably the most common one, at least among conservative or Bible-believing Christians. And it's why Paul wrote some of Romans and all of Galatians. I, in fact, call it, one of the ways I call it is the Galatian crisis. It's that we start by grace. We pray a sinner's prayer. Oh, God, I'm a sinner. I'm, I can't save myself. I need you and so forth. And then we think that we're sanctified or matured by our own efforts. And it all gets down to where the efforts are initiated, because true grace does not live without effort. But where is the effort? Where's the, the, the initiation of the effort? Where's the power to sustain the effort? And where's the completion of the effort coming from? It's not of ourselves in true grace. It's not that it's without effort. That's a misconception today. Some people think, well, because it's a free grace, I do nothing, and that leads to the fourth one: grace plus licentiousness. That's a very common thing out there. In fact, you know, part of true grace is that if you have true grace in your life, you will find yourself uh, inextricably intertwined with a group of people in Christian community called the church. Because you can't walk with Christ and ignore his body. Because Christ is is the living word who lives in the scriptures. Christ uh, is experienced because he sent the Holy Spirit to bear witness of him. And Christ lives in his church. And if you reject his church, you're rejecting Christ. And you're rejecting grace. And all of us pastors... Hopefully, with tears in our eyes, have to admit the church is very divided right now. And so almost any wholesome pastor of hundreds of different Christian traditions would say, "You have to at least you know God, that's up to God to, to help us, and, and I pray for unity, and I pray the church will be made one and so forth. But in the meantime, you've got to find yourself as a part of some local expression of the body of Christ. You have to you it's necessary because Christ is living for Roy and Kyle and Jennifer <laughs> and Christ is living for Jennifer and Roy and Davion that's just the way Christ comes to us so um when you have the graceless licentiousness thing like you relate to the churches for what it can do for you. Well, I like the, this style of worship or this style. of. But you don't relate to it like who's, who can challenge me to grow, be sanctified and become fruitful and become a useful disciple. Where can I meet the challenges to, to, to lay down my life? Because if a grain of wheat stays by itself, it, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And you won't die much without brothers and sisters all around you. (laughs) Believe me, you'll squirm off the hook all the time. And there's this whole idea today that's very common. They call it the unchurched church. And I'm a Christian, but because God is so good at forgiving, I can just do whatever the blank blank I want. And that's a huge movement. There are more people that have that opinion than who actually have the opinion that I that grace has, has called me to grow in God and be a part of his body and so forth. That is a big, big movement. You meet all kinds of people. I remember encountering it for the first time when I was just becoming a Christian and I was a drug addict and uh, I was trying to share the gospel with my drug addict roommate in the college, my first quarter of college And, uh, well, let's just say he had this philosophy, hey, I got Jesus in my heart. You know, this guy came and we prayed and we all held hands and, man, I felt Jesus. And I I know I'm saved, but he slept with a different girl every night. He, You know, he uh, did all kinds of drugs every day. Jesus was never in his thoughts, but he thought he had it covered because at one time I prayed once. And I, I, it seemed like we were all excited. It seemed like Jesus was there. <laughs> that was KT's theology. Um, who none of you would know. I haven't seen him in forty some years. But uh, anyway, that's just that's out there. Grace plus licentiousness. It's all over the place. Like, well, God is, He'll forgive any manner of sin. So let's just live any manner of way we want true grace is grace upon grace. John 1 uses that phrase. The law, which was a kind of grace, came through Moses, but grace and truth were fully realized in Jesus Christ, and grace upon grace. Some translations actually say grace instead of grace. But in the Greek, it's really like grace, and then grace, and then grace, and then more grace. (laughs) So Grace starts your Christian life. Jesus is called the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? You didn't choose me, he said, John 15, 16. He chose you. Just because you happen to grow up in a Christian home and maybe you genuinely received Christ so young you hardly remember when you did, he still chose that for you. You didn't choose to be born in in a gospel-centered environment instead of a Worshipping Bala or, or some, what whatever else. God's grace chooses us and seeks us out. No one can come t- to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And he draws you by the Holy Spirit, who's called in Hebrews 10, 29, the Spirit of grace. If you're truly in Christ today, it was God's idea. And you actually... There's none who seeks for God. No, not one. You actually, you know, that's, uh, you tried not to let that happen. But he drew you. And until you start to see that, you'll probably grow very little because you'll never understand the unfathomable greatness of his grace if you think it was your decision and by your initiation. Grace causes you to grow. Grace causes you to continue. And grace will cause you to finish. And grace is kind of a little bit of a mystery. The uh, we'll turnover real quick, and then we'll come back to the top verse on the back page. Philippians two thirteen, two twelve and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Now, if I stopped there, and that was the gospel I gave you, that would be very performance-based, wouldn't it? Work out your salvation, Daniel, in fear and trembling. But you have to read the whole sentence. For it's God that's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, it was God who started it, and God who's keeping it going, and God who will complete it. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Not even the atoms of the universe would, would keep from blowing themselves apart if it wasn't Jesus Christ upholding them. You know, the planets would would not revolve around their their various stars and so forth, except for God directs it by the word of his power and sends his angels and messengers to make his laws of physics work. Behind every law of physics are are angelic beings making making the laws of physics happen. Tell that to a scientist today. So... Um, back to the other side what a, uh, you know grace works a little bit like this um, not to bore you with our family but the, the Weiss family started a tradition I don't know like around 13 or 14 years ago we decided you know what we have this wonderful Christmas tradition in our family why have it to ourselves So we had started inviting people that we met in the jail or on the streets or people who were maybe coming to the church, but they lived too far away to go home for Christmas or or what have you. We always invite some people that aren't necessarily part of our family and some people that aren't necessarily part of our church. And you could say, what's the catch? Well, one of the things we do is we don't tell them that we're going to tell all the kids and everybody who they are and what some of their interests are so that they'll get a present from everyone. We don't tell them that so they don't feel like they should be obligated to bring presents for us or anything because people always think, well, if you give me something, I'm going to have to give you something, right? But you could say, well, wait a minute, are these gifts free? In a sense, they're free, but in the other sense... We always have a gospel service. We used to do it by our own family before we started the church. And, the, and now we just have a t- Christmas Eve service here. Then we have dinner, usually at Jason and Carla's house, because Carla's the best cook, and she has a big old family room and so forth. And, uh, you know, we can, we can get 20-some people around the dining room table. Um, so, um, you know, they have to eat the food. I mean, that's some terrible stuff. I mean, we're talking turkey, pork roast, mashed potatoes, dressing, gravies, three or four kinds of pie. It's horrible. I mean, there's a cost. Probably is a cost. You have indigestion when you're in. But, uh, you know, then, then the next cost is we all go into the living room, and we have this tradition where, we pass out one present at a time, and everybody opens it, and everybody shows their present, and we all rejoice with each other and so forth. And it goes on for a few hours because there's lots of gifts and so forth. Uh, one, one Christmas, we actually gave up and said, well, let's just open the rest of these gifts tomorrow. <laughs> there's too many of them. Uh, but, so grace works like that. Like, grace is free, but you do have to come to his dinner, and you do have to enjoy fellowship with his family. And when you get the present, it's got to be un- you've got to get the present, and you got to unwrap it. And then, even then, once in a while, when you unwrap the present, it'll say, "Some assembly required," <laughs> because that's the mystery of grace. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God that's doing all these things in the first place. But somehow, He's going to cause you to respond to His grace. In such a way that it's not your performance, nor would it even be your inclination without his grace, but he motivates you to go get more grace. That's how grace works. And so someone who's really touched the grace of God won't have to be told, read your Bible, because they'll want more grace. It's like, you know, you guys got some pretty good turkey and dressing and mashed. Can I have seconds? (laughs) <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I, you know, that's one bad thing about being old. You only can, you're only good for about one round at Christmas dinner anymore. Man, when I was young, I was good for three or four rounds, <laughs> you know, so, you, you know, you can become kind of wimpy when you're old, but, uh, that's how grace works. Now, um, I'm probably not going to get as far as, I'm probably, we're probably going to have grace reviewed for two weeks and, Grace-based versus performance-based, our long-life long, long life struggle will probably be next week. It's so important that we get this. I don't care if I have to spend three weeks on it. Hopefully you don't care either. Because this makes or breaks whether you're going to grow in Christ or not. Or whether you're going to go to church, be a Christian and so forth, but never get past the doorway. And you know, I'll tell you, that's the, the most frustrating thing as a pastor is you love people. God gives you that. You don't have that. And I wasn't a very nice guy before I was a Christian. Really, I am now. It's, I know some of you don't believe that. But, no. <laughs> but by grace, I really am. And, uh, but you want to see people doing well. Jesus came that people might have life and have it abundantly. And the biggest mystery that you have when you're a mature Christian helping people grow is why are some people not getting in on the fullness and abundance of Christ and other people are? And how can I reach this person in such a way that that the lights come on and the power of God comes in their life and they really start getting in on everything God intended for them? Because he wants to bring you to his banqueting table and it's an amazing feast, not just in heaven. Not even prim- the Bible's orientation is never primarily about heaven. We ch- that's part of the modern change in the gospel. God- we've, we've changed the gospel into God saving you for, from hell and into heaven. And that's not the gospel. And that's not even that emphasized in the Bible. It's the byproduct. God saves you from sin. He saves you from every consequence of the fall of man. And he makes you who you were intended to be if, if there was no fall. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. New things become. God, as he changes you from glory to glory, as we're going to get into next week, you're, you start experiencing who you were intended to be all along. I dwell at liberty, the Psalm says, and psalmist says. In the, in the Hebrew actually means, I dwell in a wide and broad place because your grace is with me. Like, wow, you know, I used to be trapped in fears and fears of what people think of me. and That, that was like, you know, the d- drugs, all that stuff. My ultimate bondage when, before I was a Christian is I care deeply about what other people think of me. What a terrible place to live. That's like the ultimate bondage. One of the best compliments I ever got was um, I was working in a certain job once, and all the s- certain ladies would all go out to lunch, and they would invite me, but I wasn't too comfortable with going out to lunch with ladies for one thing, and the second thing is I had work to do, so I didn't used to usually go, but I was courteous and professional and so forth, and they complained, why doesn't he ever go to lunch with me, to the boss, and he called me, and we're talking, and he goes, Greg, you know what the problem with you is? said, well, there's lots of them. Which one are you thinking about? But <laughs> I could give you a list. <laughs> uh, he goes, you don't really care what people think of you. And I said, well, thank you. I wish that were true. And by the grace of God, it's more and more true. But, I, uh, you know, thank you very much for the compliment. <laughs> I don't think he was expecting that answer. But, uh, all right, so, um Probably i 'm just going to be able to get into uh something that i didn 't review last week on the on the from the grace series, and I think it's vital that we understand it before we go on to uh, how to how to do this daily battle with our great with repositioning yourself in grace and where i 'm going with this just so we can you know this commercial for next week. I am constantly talking to to young people who tell me uh, Gee, I'm getting this about the grace gradually. But I always go back to performance and so forth. And let me just tell you, that's what your flesh wants. And there is a progression in grace where he changes you from glory to glory. And so you'll become more and more grace-based. And you'll know that by the things we're about to look at. But you'll never be done with that. This side of heaven you'll always need to think about the gospel every day and to reposition yourself by grace, not by performance. It's just that in the mysteries of God, as you touch him in worship, as you encounter his, Him live, the living Christ in his word, as you encounter him in confrontations uh, with other people, that's why I say I don't ever trust anybody I haven't fought with. I really don't. If, I, if we haven't had a few fights, then I don't know how you're going to behave in a fight. I, you know, I don't know if you're just going to withdraw for a week or two or three weeks or if you're going to come do what the Bible says and not let the sun go down on your anger. And if you're presenting your offering before, then go to your brother and so forth. Because when you start working it out several times with people, that's when you find deeper grace. There are lots of graces in my life that this lady has brought in by confrontation that I didn't even have ears to hear when I was a knucklehead young husband. And gradually, she's got my attention. Hello, I'm speaking to you. Are you in there somewhere? (laughs) Couldn't we just watch football? No. All right, so... um, so that's where I'm going next week. But let, so let's, let's end today by just go back to the front page down at the bottom. Because last week I got into the four H words, humility, honesty, hunger, and holistic. And if you need more of that, they're on the podcast. Look at uh, the podcast under 2013. Ask anybody who's been around for a while how the podcast worked. They're sort of the most recent ones first, and so they're in backwards order. You have to scroll back to the beginning of each series. But here's how to detect or discern whether you're performance-based or you're grace-based. And discerning that all the time is a matter of life and death. It's possibly the most critical issue in the Christian life. And you have to be able to discern it in yourself in order to be able to discern it in others. To the degree you've been freed yourself, to that degree you'll have liberty to help someone else you can only take them as far as you've gone. And we are all, I have a um, a friend that's a, the youth pastor at a church in Cedarville. His name is Mike Standish. The cha- church is called Grace Baptist Church and he's the high school pastor. And He's on my ad hoc advisory council. Sometimes I call him for advice. I met him through Beth and Leah. And uh, we talk you know, three or four times a year and once a year or so we have coffee at one of those little coffee shops in Cedarville. And and he has this saying, he goes, We're like we're all recovering Pharisees. <laughs> we are. If you don't see that, you probably haven't pro- progressed very far in the Christian life. So, Ephesians or Hebrews 5:14 is a very important verse. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their sense. No, the the word is plural. That's very important. Trained to discern good and evil. So he's not just talking about a gift of the Holy Spirit, we believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today, called discernment of spirits. He's talking about having a full experience of scripture to discern, being able to discern our behaviors and our motives and and so forth he's talking about using all five of your senses all of your experiences over the years with christ all of your studying of scripture all of your experiences in the body of christ everything to know how to discern good and evil and performance-based thinking is the ultimate evil it's the sin of the devil and it's rampant in christian circles So here's four ways to, to end with today, four ways to discern this. If you tend to have condemnation inside yourself in self-righteousness, because when you're walking by performance base, you will always have something inside yourself. You'll have this dichotomous thing going on spiritually and emotionally where you're, you're struggling with condemnation and you're struggling with some self-righteousness at the same time and that you ha- one of the things that I don't have time to develop today maybe we'll get into this a little next week is we talk a lot in this church about learning how to discern the difference between the, con- the conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation they are diff- very different and condemnation will never do you any good wish I could develop in more we'll start there next week secondly you'll be harsh in your judgments of others you know My wife and I have to confess, we thought we were a little further along uh, than we actually were in Christ when we started going to the jails and helping people who were really troubled and really broken and really addicted and whose life was totally out of control and so forth, because we often judged them in our hearts, right? And we would even confront each other. We'd be, you know, we thought, you you know, maybe because we were educated or took a shower or something that we were better but we weren't and if you really don't have it in your heart there but by the grace of god go i with every person you work with then you really have are not grace-based so when someone comes and confesses sins to you if you if you find your heart going oh oh my god you know, that's a new record. <laughs> you know, uh, you're probably not very grace-based yet. Third thing is expectations and appreciations. Do you always have high expectations of everyone? <laughs> Leah won't mind my picking on her because Leah and I are gifted a lot the same way. We're both type A guys, right? Uh, people, that is, she's not a guy. but And when I when Leah and I first met, I can still remember sitting in John and Leah's living room. I guess we'd known each other six months or a year by then. And remember saying, Leah, as we work on developing this inner city ministry and so forth, and you're developing these kids' ministries and so forth, you and I are going to fight a lot because we're both type A and I'm really looking forward to it because iron sharpens iron and it's going to be good for both of us. I just can't wait. Let's roll up our sleeves and duke it out right now. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> And uh, Leah has, is, you know, everyone knows that she's one of my favorite people in the entire universe. And... Uh, um, but I remember early on, Leah would have this tendency to go, well, I talked to so-and-so about changing this or that and their life and so forth. And you know a week later it didn't do any good. They were just and I'd be like, "Wow, you got high expectations." You know, I talked to them about being more punctual and let me know if they weren't going to make it and don't commit to things you're not going to do." And so and I just felt like, "You know, Leah, welcome to modern times in the human race and how messed up our culture is. You're probably going to have to work with them for about 3 years before you're going to start to see some fruit." You know, grace will give you more patience. To cover the same ground 373 times. You know, that whole seven times 70 thing, the point is actually if you're still counting when you get to 490, you didn't get the point. <laughs> like, if you're actually at 490, you should have no idea you're at 490 because you keep short accounts. You know, that's one thing that, that by the grace of God, God's helped me with. My wife's always saying, don't you remember when this person did this terrible thing to you and so forth? And I, and I go, no, I don't. Because, you know, like, I, I'll probably, I'll not only forget that I forgot about Edwin's, <laughs> Edwin's surprise party, I forgot about it in one week. <laughs> and I'll probably forget about it by next Sunday, <laughs> that I messed it up, because I forgot about it. You know, keep short accounts. And lastly, if you have, don't have grace deep in your heart, you'll be a people pleaser. Galatians 6, it's interesting, the whole Galatian problem, the very first thing Paul addresses after he talks about distorting the gospel in another gospel if I was still trying to please man, I cannot be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It's the, just like the law of gravity. It's an immutable spiritual law. If you have it in your heart to please men, you cannot serve Jesus Christ. You can't have both things going on in the same heart at the same time. So, that's why you'll find a lot of times when you don't have much grace in your heart, you're very concerned about if people are judging you and, if they, and, and the, you don't want everyone to know you're like, listen, you know, just so you know, I mean, my parents were evangelical Christians, and I called them the parents and they're uh, the Jesus freaks, and we made fun of them. And I took pride in my dealing drugs, and I ran drugs out of the chief of police's house, and and uh, you know, I I I was bitter and nasty, all all about popularity. I was the most shallow individual you could want to know. But what? Who cares? It's not about who you were, it's about who God is making you. And, um, and just so you know, lots of you know <laughs> this, have been around a while, I have sinned more and failed more since I became a Christian than before I was a Christian. It's kind of part of our culture today. To, well, I was the sinner, then I became a Christian. I've been so godly ever since nonsense. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Davion knows. <laughs> He's like, because guess it just doesn't. No one like it, it gets entirely sanctified in a few years. Some of your best sins, some of you haven't even committed yet because you're not even old enough yet. So you have that to look forward to. <laughs> Amen.